Welcome to the Seek Forgiveness Podcast. Hello and Happy New Year. In light of dry January, we're starting 2020 with an interview hosted by Seek Forgiveness founder Sandy in relation to the topic of alcohol use and the issues of alcohol misuse with her guest Jack. If you'd like to support Seek Forgiveness in future projects, you can donate to ko-fi.com forward slash seek forgiveness. As a not-for-profit organization, all donations will be used to fund future projects. The next voices you're going to hear are Sandy and Jack. Welcome to the Seek Forgiveness podcast. And today we'll be discussing the impacts of alcohol from a female's perspective with Jack. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Um, Sandy. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good, thank you. Really good. And how is how is the festive period been? Amazing. Sober. <laughs> um, and yeah, just um, a really lovely gathering of friends and family. It was my daughter's birthday as well. So we had, um, you know, we had a couple of little parties as well. So yeah, it was a really nice, nice time of the year. So tell us a bit about yourself and who you are, what you do. Um, who is Jag? So I'm I'm the eldest in my family. Uh, I'm uh, from a seat background, and I just turned forty two this year. And uh, I'm also a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a sister, and I'm a prof- I've been a professional, and I've been working in my own business for four years now, as well. What do, What do you currently do? Um, so I currently I I currently work as a consultant. Uh, in the construction industry and um, I assist with health and safety documentation and site inspections and compliance. Do you enjoy it? Yeah I do I have enjoyed it Um, I am coming to an end of that uh, journey though and looking at um, starting something new next year so that'll be I'm looking forward to that and that involve a bit more uh, about connecting with people on a different level from a different industry (laughs) so looking forward to that 2020 is your year it is it is 2020 is going to be another transformational year (laughs) how um what else is um on on the books for 2020 that's going to be transformational for you um just to I think uh one of the things is um to share more about my journey in the first place so um, alcohol addiction was definitely one of those areas which impacted my life um, drastically and um, overcoming that and changing that so that I can create a new way of being with for my family and for myself was massive and since I stopped drinking I've been able to obviously transform other areas of my life so I was able to transform my health like you know I lost um like over two stones in weight and then I've become a much fitter and healthier version of myself I climbed a mountain this year so next year I don't know I mean didn't just climb I summited Kilimanjaro this year with my nine-year-old daughter and um, so these are the, just some of the things I've been able to do since um, I've been able to stop my journey with alcohol and so next year it just gives me more scope to create more with those loved ones. Um, I've always been really passionate about photography 
And so next year, I really want to start that up again. And hopefully by the end of 2020, have something established. So I'm actually doing it as a business as well. Wow, that sounds amazing. Um, Mm. When did it all start for you, your relationship with, with alcohol? Um, I think growing up, alcohol, like most Punjabi families, is is um, quite predominant at parties and stuff. So I wasn't brought up in a very religious family, but I'd call it cultural. So you had those cultural habits of um, where drinking was seen as being quite acceptable by the men in the family. So you did grow up seeing um, alcohol around you all the time. It, you didn't see your mum drinking, but you you did see that it was a part of the social scene. And our family was very social. And so growing up, I was also very social as well. <clears throat> and then when I was at college, uh, I was 18 when I started drinking. Um, a part of it was social, but part of it was also, I also hit a bit of depression at that time as well. So there was a bit of confusion on how to deal with the depression. And there was also this uh, need to keep up appearances and to socially feel accepted as well. And so in my group at that time, you know, we'd all start drinking and they were drinking fairly sensibly, if I'm completely honest, but I found myself to, um, that I was drinking like a fish. They would actually say, oh my God, you drink alcohol like a fish. So, I guess I would binge a fair bit. And I think a lot of that came from what I had seen growing up. Like, it was quite typical to see the family members who were drinking to just get really carried away and drink too much and kind of, like, not stop. So I would say that's where I first um, started was um, in my college days. Yeah. So would you say that it was a way of alcohol was used as a way for you to cope? Yeah, so it was definitely, it was to try and cope with the social anxiety as well. So there was social anxiety there as well to like sort of keep up and be social enough. And I think I thought alcohol was helping me in a way, in that sense. And there was a part of me that was feeling like um, some of my friends had noticed that I had become a little bit depressed and they were like, oh, what's wrong with you? And I think in order to just um, cause a distraction... Um, I used alcohol as well. So it was both coping and a distraction from what really was going on. Right. So it was more of the social anxiety that actually kick-started your increase of alcohol intake. Yeah, because I was starting to feel like, oh, there was something wrong with me. Um, And the alcohol kind of like just eased that off it would distract me from feeling that way and And it was yeah coping as well yeah how did were your family not aware of this at the age of 18 not initially I mean I wouldn't my parents really I mean like I don't know about you uh you probably (laughs) I definitely hit it um we were drinking during the day really so you'd kind of like be a bit sobered up by the time you get home um and I, I went through a rebellious phase, basically. So I was going through a phase of um, not attending classes. And and so I would actually end up 
drinking instead of going to my classes. So that's what I'd start doing. And then I'd kind of like be sobered up by the time I'd get home or I'd go straight upstairs if I still felt like I was a little bit drunk. And um, so it was really <laughs> strange to say this, but there was a lot of like strategizing around it so that my my parents didn't find out that I was actually drinking. And um, so I'd say they didn't find out straight away. They did find out by the time I was like 20 that I was drinking. Yeah. But I don't think they would have saw it as a... I don't think they saw it as a problem, though. And they were okay with you drinking? It's... For some reason, it was accepted. Yeah, so all of my... Me and my cousins, we were all drinking now. So I was I was drinking with them as well at parties, and they were drinking as well. So there were cousin brothers and cousin sisters. We were all drinking. And the family had accepted that this generation drinks. So that went on into your 20s, so you were at university, I suppose it was Yeah, university was very and... acceptable, yeah, it's so much more. And I lived away from home, um, so I wasn't coming home every day, and so it was just a lot more, um, it was easier to do it. Um, Did you feel freer? Yeah, yeah, it was a lot more freedom to do it, and we would really drink, like, without any limitations, and, you know, you can get it a lot cheaper when you're a student as well. And so you, did can, you... you can drink a lot more than you should. Did your friends at university realise <clears throat> that there was I guess... an underlining issue or...? Um... No, no, I don't think anyone... Even I didn't realise, like, because I'd got so used to the distraction from the mm-hmm. beginning. I Like, I had just even I wouldn't even think about that anymore it was it the drinking had just become a habit it was just a very normal thing to do it'd become a social thing to do um it, I almost like I felt like that's who I'd become like the person who drinks alcohol like fish <laughs> like um essentially and, like and your water friend, yeah like yeah so I would just drink it like water it was so easy to drink for me um and I wouldn't pace it there was no kind of like controlled way of drinking it for me um and everyone had just everyone who knew me had just accepted that's how I drank they didn't see a problem with it they just kind of like almost labeled it that I was that kind of a drinker how did that impact your relationships with friends or family university work how did that impact you so at university um like I said it was like you know, it was quite a normal thing to do. And most of the company I had drank, was drinking as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I don't think it, it didn't make that much of a difference in, in regards to friendships and things during that time. Mm. Um, I could get a bit feisty at times, so I could sort of get into a few fights here and there. But normally I'd, I'd be um, looked after so that it didn't actually turn into anything. Uh, in regard to my schoolwork, um, again, university is fairly flexible. You know, your hours are flexible. Like, you know, you turn up and you do your work and you go home. Um, I came across as a dosser, but I was, I, um, I was quite high functioning, if that makes sense. So I was able to do quite a lot, even though I drank a lot. So it didn't really impact my work. I even had a full, I even had a job. I was working as a security guard at university. And I did at least two 12-hour shifts 
two 12-hour shifts minimum a week as well. So, so you're, fully, you're a fully functioning person. Yeah. yeah. Even could, with a, a daily alcohol intake. I'd say at university it wasn't every day. At university it was probably at least four days a week okay. or something. So it wasn't daily at that point at uni. So there were probably some breaks. <laughs> when when um, did it become daily? When when did it become an everyday? I'd probably need? say my uh, probably my late twenties. Yeah, so I was still drinking very regularly, at least five days a week, mm. um, throughout my twenties. Once I started professionally working, I was still drinking pretty much every day. I would definitely be drinking, like. Um, minimum five days a week when I was working professionally um and that did start becoming a problem obviously um because then I had to get up early whereas at uni you still kind of like got away with waking up later it didn't really matter that much whereas when you're working you've got to like turn up to work every day as well so Mm -hmm. it was um I'd say between between um university and the age of about 27 28 yeah 28 I'd say I think I was about 28 where it became more of a daily thing where I where I had to drink every day which was yeah which was when I I had moved away from my family um and again I kind of like went through a little bit of depression at that time again and I felt like um I didn't know how to deal with it and so I was using alcohol's as a coping mechanism so it became every day because I I was trying to deal with it using alcohol instead of talking to somebody about it what what was it that you were trying to deal with so there was a lot of family conflict going on at the time mm-hmm. um, and I didn't know how to deal with that I was feeling quite alone as well and I'm my work was doing really well but in the, in the background in my family situation, um, I was newly married. Um, I wasn't really dealing with that very well. Mm. And I didn't know who to talk to about it, neither. Um, and so my way of just trying to cope with it was to just drink more. And I'd normally drink, and then I found I was able to talk about it more as well. <laughs> but there was almost like this having this courage to say, oh, my God, I don't feel like my life is working right now. So it I gave that you that. Was- yeah bit of bravery to say I just need someone to talk to yeah yeah and I probably wasn't even really being honest about what it was I needed to talk about but it would just again just give me that sort of social courage to like say to someone oh you know what um this is going on or whatever and you know it may end up being a serious conversation it may not sometimes but generally, it was just I was just not able to express what I was going through. So it's, it's quite a lot of stuff that's kind of allowed you to use alcohol as like a comfort blanket. Yes. Um, and the fact that because you've grown up with it being accepted, mm. you didn't see it as a problem until it did become a problem. And it wasn't... I mean- it was huge. I mean, when I went to Australia, um, like it became worse when I went to Australia. So I, me and my husband moved to Australia for about a year and a half. And when I was over there, again, I got 
there was a lot of things going on. I felt like my problems got amplified because I was not near my family and friends. Um, and again, while I was over there, I just resorted to alcohol as a way of dealing with, as a way of coping with what I couldn't deal with in my life. So ultimately, all these things were happening to me that I felt like were happening to me. That's what mm. I felt like was happening. And, and they had various elements of, you know, there wasn't particularly one thing that was going on. Like literally, I had just never learned how to deal with emotional things in my life so ultimately most of the things that I couldn't deal with were things that were making me feel bad making me feel and obviously the more I drank I would feel guilty I would feel ashamed you know so I was trying to really harvest a lot of negative emotions and I didn't know how to express them I didn't know how to relieve them I didn't know how to get rid of them I felt like I was literally adding more to the pile on a daily basis. And the more I drank, the bigger that pile got. But the habit of trying to stop drinking never started. Is that correct? Yeah. So I never, I mean, the only time I stopped drinking. So we left Australia because it got really bad. Like I was just like, no, I want to go back. I want to be closer to a community. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to be back near family. So we came back to London and then um, a few months later I found out I was pregnant and once I found out I was pregnant um, like that day I completely I stopped drinking as soon as I found out that I was um, so during that phase during my pregnancy I didn't drink anything Um, and I think that was the first time I didn't think just about myself Mm. so the reason why I was able to stop drinking was I knew that there was you know another life inside of me and I can drink to make myself feel whatever it is, but I can't impact that on my child, you know. Mm. So there was a strong enough feeling there for me to own, no, this is not acceptable for me to drink while I'm pregnant. And, and I didn't. I didn't drink. You know, there were loads of people mm. who were even telling me, oh, you can have the odd gra- glass of red wine. Yeah. You, know, you can have a glass of one red glass of wine a week and this and that. And I was like, no. And because I knew the way I drank was so addictive, because I was such a binge drinker when I did drink and I didn't have that capacity to control drinking, you know, like Mm -hmm. people can control their drinking. I had definitely seen from my past experience that that's not something that I'm capable of doing. Mm. You know, I struggled with, you know, um, controlling how much I drank. So I wasn't willing to take the risk. So even having one drink for me felt like it was potentially I was going to self-sabotage that you know what I'm trying to do there which is so the fear of having one drink while you were pregnant yeah could then ultimately lead to several or a few more drinks than you ever would have anticipated because you weren't sure about the control you had yeah so that's why I didn't drink at all so during my pregnancy, as soon as I found out I didn't drink at all, I didn't start drinking again. So that this is my only time that I hadn't drank. So I stopped drinking when I found out she was pregnant, which was like February 2009. And then, um, or March, yeah, it was February, March time in 2009. And then I think I remember starting to drink again when she was probably about a year and a half, like started like having the odd drink on a Friday, like, you know, if I went out with some friends or something. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so initially, it did start off quite casual on a Friday night only. And then by the time she was two, and I'd started working again. Um, I'd also started working again um, in London in construction. And it got really high paced again suddenly. And I just found I went back to my normal way of being where it came to drinking. Like I just started drinking every day again because in construction, it's quite easy to drink after work. Like it's, it's really easy to say, oh, man, I've had such a shit day. I've had such a stressful day. Let's just go and have a drink. And did you find no it, one judges you. Did you find that you're feeling the pressure? Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I, did, I, I wanted to go back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so there wasn't the pressure that I had to go back to work. There's just the general pressure that you get when you do work in construction. And I'm sure there's other industries where you get that pressure as well. Like you enjoy working in it, but at the same time, there is that pressure. And that pressure is almost an excuse to justify, oh, let's go for a drink. Mm. And it makes it more acceptable. But <clears throat> you initially first started drinking again socially with friends did you feel feel that you had to have a drink with friends and family yeah I did start feeling the pressure to like feel socially acceptable because every time we were meeting we were meeting in pubs and bars and so there was this sort of like I felt like okay like socially I can just have the one or two so I kind of like started again from that social aspect mm-hmm. because everyone else was drinking and I kind of like felt left out so then I was just like yeah you know what I can have one or two it's okay everyone you know and I had other mums who were there and they were drinking so you know wasn't feeling terribly bad about now being a mum and still drinking so being exposed to it from friends and family as well as yeah. work and yeah, so felt as though so it was accepted. Yeah, like all the social social dudes are at a, par, a bar or a pub, you know, or in a mm. restaurant where everyone's going to open a bottle of wine. So it becomes such a every like a normal way to socialize is to have alcohol as part of the socializing. Mm. Like it's, it's you know it wasn't abnormal to go somewhere and not have alcohol. It was a very normalized experience to socialize with your friends and family and alcohol would automatically be a part of it what was this like with family when you were out or say weddings or parties or special occasions to what extent was your alcohol intake accepted it was, it was accepted, to, <laughs> to be honest, it was accepted to quite a high level, actually. I mean, there was on a couple of occasions, there was a couple of weddings where it did go too far, um, where I did, I did drink too much and um, probably got a bit mouthy with some people at the wedding and, you know, like then had to kind of like be calmed down and sort of taken away sort of thing. Mm. Um, so on a couple of occasions that did happen and it was embarrassing because then the next day I'd be like I'm really sorry I didn't mean to say that or I didn't mean to do that Mm -hmm. or there may have been the I I remember going out with friends and there was a time where um you know I I was puking so much I got left I was in the ladies toilet and like I'd puked and then I was just relaxing and then I just fell asleep and like (laughs) they couldn't find me you know 
Um, so, you know, there would be things like that that would happen. And they were quite scary because then you'd wake up like you'd kind of like get unconscious, like you'd black out. And then you'd be like, where am I? What happened? You know, you'd have those kind of moments and those would be quite scary for me. And if I'm completely honest, I didn't always tell everyone what had happened because I'd be too embarrassed. Mm. So I wouldn't normally tell people afterwards. Like I, I, if I could get away with it, I would not say anything. So you found ways to conceal yeah, those um, kind of things. the extent yeah. of what alcohol. Yeah. And yeah, how often? Yeah, how loads. often did you find did you find yourself in a situation where you did have to hide what you were doing or where you were? <clears throat> what had happened to you yeah I mean like towards the end towards the end it was happening quite a lot I'd say probably nearly every week I was in a situation where I felt like oh god I'm so embarrassed about that I shouldn't have said that I shouldn't have done that um or I had to hide something from somebody um and I think it was that the last one before I I think towards the Towards the end, like in the last year, um, before I stopped drinking, there was a lot more of me trying to control it, but it was still not working. And I was getting very frustrated with myself that I couldn't seem to manage myself and my drinking. Um, But every time I tried to control it, I would still end up drinking too much. And then there'd be times where someone, luckily, I was very, very lucky in so many situations. I had friends who would... Um, put me in a taxi and get me home because there was no way I would have been able to come home I would have been that drunk and most of those taxi journeys I would have slept on the way home and then the taxi driver would wake me up and he'd be like oh is this where you live that's the address your friends gave and these would be friends from work um, because at this point I was predominantly drinking with people from work um, most of the time and um, you know they would make sure I got home safe And so, you know, I'd probably hide that from my husband, like, oh, you know, so at this point I'm married and, uh, you know, I've got a daughter as well. And so, and my daughter's five at that time. Yeah, she's five. And I'm like working 13, 14 hours a day. And then I was using drink as a way to kind of like relax on a Friday night. So if I wasn't drinking on a Friday night, then I'd be drinking at home. So I'd be drinking, you know, either at home or in the workplace. But I was having to hide how I was getting home. I wouldn't normally have that conversation. I just wouldn't have the conversation with my husband to say, oh, yeah, um, I don't know how I got home, basically. You know, next day I'd normally find out which person put me in the taxi (laughs) to make sure I got home. Okay. But it wasn't always that way. There were some incidences where, you know, I did wake up and, you know, it was quite uncomfortable because I didn't I didn't know how I got there. And then I had to just get a taxi home myself because I drank too much. And in those moments when you've had to make your own way home or Mm. didn't really know how to explain what had happened, how? Do you remember how you felt or? Oh, I felt awful. Like, felt really, really just, like, worried, really concerned. Felt, you know, ashamed. You know, just feeling, like, completely like a really bad person. You know, just thinking, what is wrong with you? Like, why can't you just stop, 
you know, I'd just like be having a go at myself for not being able to deal with my life because I know that's why I was drinking was because I didn't know how to actually deal with my life. I didn't know how to deal with the emotions. I didn't know how to deal with what I was going through. I wasn't even 100% sure what I was going through. Um, I think that didn't help. And there was a part of me that just was getting really, like I was getting to the point, like I don't deserve to be here. Like I've got a great husband. I've got a great family. I've got a beautiful daughter. What's wrong with me, you know? And there was just elements of where... Just, I didn't feel like used... I deserve it, you know? I just don't feel like I deserved it to have these amazing people around me. And I was feeling all depressed and, you know, trying to almost, like, I don't know what I was doing. I was just drinking every day when I knew it wasn't good for me. But and was... I knew it was just impacting me, my life, impacting those who do care about me. But it was your coping technique and that was the one thing that you could trust? It had become the thing I was, yeah, it was the one thing I knew I could do every day. And it was the one thing I knew the next day I would regret. <laughs> but it was just this, it become a really vicious cycle. And toward, in that last year, I remember every day I was saying to myself, okay, that's it. I'm not doing that again. I'm not going to drink again. And that same day on the way home, all I'm thinking about is buying a bottle on the way home, buying a bottle on the way home. Even though, you know, I'd just been through like something horrendous the night before and I hated myself for it in the morning yeah on you know I was all I could think about was buying another bottle on the way home and I would buy like you know I would buy really high percentage wines you know and I was buying them from shops so we had a whole bunch of shops that sold wine on the way home and I would literally I would kind of like pick a different shop every day because I was starting to think oh my god they're gonna realize I drink so much alcohol that I drink wine every day um I was actually like I had like five or six different shops and I alternated alternated them so so that they didn't realize I was taking a bottle of wine every day by doing it from a different shop and did that impact how did that make you feel having to move shops were you fearful in them finding yeah, like out a, yeah it's like I didn't want to look bad you know I didn't want them to find out it's embarrassing like they might tell other people they might start to, you know like there was a whole bunch of paranoia going on so it's starting to, there was a lot of anxiety there was paranoia so I was getting all these extra things like paranoia and anxiety and anxiousness and like my whole world like I really started like I was operating to work around my alcohol problem like I started, mm. like everything was working to suit me being able to drink every evening. You know, like, so, like, yeah, I literally feel like I was starting to work things to, to continue my drinking habit. As though you had organized a section yeah. in your day. Yeah. That was all based around that. And it was always on my mind. It was always on my mind. Like, drinking was always there at the back of my mind. It was always like, even though I said I'm not going to drink today, I'd already planned all the way home that, you know what, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink. And then as soon as I'd get off the train station and I was walking home, I'd be, like, deciding which shop 
am I going to get it from? Which shop did I go to yesterday? Which shop did I go to the day before? Which one's going to be the safer one to go to? And like these people, they may have cared or not cared. I have no idea. But like I was so paranoid about what they thought. It was a com- part of a community that you you lived at. So yeah, yeah. So they were <laughs> exactly yeah. And I lived in a fairly Indian community. Like you know, and all these shop owners were Punjabi. You know, they were all Sikh shop owners. You felt pressure and the fear of being judged and criticised. Yeah. yeah. I probably wouldn't have, but it's obviously because I was drinking every day. That's mm. why. So how long, how long has it been? When did you decide, actually? When did you decide on this is I going was, to change? Yeah. So I did, um, I think it was, I started getting really present to the fact that I was unhappy um the fact that I was um and that my my health was getting really bad as well so I was starting to get really bad um blood pressure as well and I'd never had blood pressure as an issue and I was 38 at the time and I was like oh my god like my mum was 39 when she had to start taking blood pressure tablets and she's kind of like never got off them and I was like I don't want to turn into my mum so I could see health was becoming an issue. Obviously, they told me I was overweight. I'd put on a lot of weight. They were telling me I couldn't load the weight. So my health was starting to become an issue now as well. And I think the worst thing was I was spending so much time at work and very little time at home. I was also really not present to what was happening at home neither because I was just trying to avoid. I, was, I actually realized I was avoiding my family. And I thought it was acceptable. As long as I'm working, as long as I'm earning money, I'm doing my bit in this family. I was really not connecting to my family. So alcohol had really disconnected me from my family because I felt so guilty and ashamed. How did that, um, how was that relationship with your, with your daughter? I mean, I loved my daughter. I loved my daughter then as well. I mean, obviously, I still love her now. But like at that time, there was a lot of guilt around who I was as a mum. And um, my my husband was an amazing dad, right? So he was an amazing mum and dad combined, if you like. And um, I think there was a part of me that also felt like I was never going to be a good mum. And I was just living in this land of not being good enough for my husband, not being good enough for my daughter, mm. just not being good enough. And I was... I was using alcohol to kind of like pacify that, that mm. I didn't think I was good enough. Ultimately, that's what it was. I didn't even feel like I deserved them. How long has it been now since you've been sober? Uh, three years, more than three years, yep. Three so years. September 2006, uh, no, 2000, and, yeah, 2016, September 2016. Three years and yeah. you've overcome health problems weight problems blood pressure problems um relationship problems all of this in the space of three years where most people may not over 10 years may not overcome them so talking about this and being present as you said before it was about being present for your family yeah. you're doing the most yeah. amazing job and how in 2016 like what was yeah. it that made you want to take that step 
Yeah, so I I quit my job earlier that year. So in January, um, we'd had the Christmas break and there'd been lots of drinking and everything. And then when I had to come back to work in January, I was really anxious and there was a lot of anxiety. And I was like, I don't like my job. Like, why do I go there every day? So that was step one, just acknowledging, okay, I'm doing something that I hate. And one of these things is actually my job. And and it was causing a lot of additional stress and pressure as well. And it was keeping me, uh, and in those last six months prior to January, I had tried to take more time out to spend it with my daughter because I was really, really missing her, you know, because I was working so much. Um, and they were making, I was, I was feeling like, whether they were doing that or not, I don't know, but I was feeling like I wasn't being able to take out the time that I needed to, to spend it with her. So in January, I decided that, okay, you know what, this is one thing, I actually can change my job. You know, I can get a new job, or I can even start working for myself. And so that was quite a big decision to take, because I didn't have any savings, I didn't have any redundancy coming my way. It was literally, you know, I... Because my health at that point, I just had the doctor's appointment and they told me like my blood pressure was high, you know, my weight was over, like I've become overweight, etc. So all of that had happened in that time. And I'm like, I've only got one life, you know, and I want to, I didn't have my daughter to not spend time with her and I just wasn't spending any time with her. So she was definitely over Christmas, obviously spending that, those two weeks with her was awesome. And just getting present to, okay, my life is more than I'm making it out to be right now, which is, I just felt like I really had this big opening on the in the new year that, you know, my life is just one life. I'm not going to get to do this again and again and again. Like, I need to start making decisions that are going to give me more. So leaving my job was the first one, which was quite scary, actually. But at the same time, without shadow of a doubt, it was the best thing I ever did because I finally started looking at myself instead of my, who am I in a career sort of thing, who I'd I'd labelled myself as this professional in my job. And I spent all my time there. I was spending like, you know, 85% of my time at work. So it really became uh, a new opening to start looking at myself. And so when I started to do that, I was like, okay, like I don't, what was not working here and one of the things was drinking so because I wasn't going to work every day anymore it meant I was still drinking but I wasn't kind of like drinking from that same stress if that makes sense so there was less less um emotion around the drinking so I was still drinking I hadn't stopped but um I in March I was able to stop for like a whole month and I was really like amazed I was like wow I gave up for like a whole month and that was awesome and I started working I started my own business at the end of March as well um so it was great so it was kind of like a new beginning I hadn't drank for a month I'd started a new business and I was feeling great and I was spending more time with Sniffless like I'd spent time with Sniffless like January February and March it would it'd been awesome so I I really felt like oh this is great I'm changing who I'm being now, you know, I can create a new way of being in my life. And, um, and then in April, I was like, you know what, I was out with my friends, and they were like, let's celebrate, you haven't drank for a month. 
<laughs> and I drank. And that's it. I was back on I was back on it like I never stopped. I couldn't believe it. Like literally in that one evening, I'd start drinking again. And the next day I wanted to drink again. And the following day I wanted to drink again. And the following day I wanted to drink again. And so um, I kind of like just felt quite disappointed, if I'm completely honest, that after that whole month of not drinking, that I couldn't keep it going. And so April, May, June, July, August, every single day, I was like, I'm not going to drink. Every single day, I'm not going to drink. And every single day, I drank again. And the worst thing was, I actually increased my intake. During that time, I actually increased my alcohol intake from one bottle of wine to two bottles of wine. So it was even, I hadn't actually got any better. I actually started feeling so guilty about not being able to give up this habit and still not being able to talk to. And I, oh, by the way, in this whole time, I'd never spoken to anyone about it being a problem. Like I'd never spoken to anyone saying alcohol is a problem for me. Most people did not know that I drank every day. Actually, I don't know if I mentioned that, but most people that I did know, I drank with them on different days or maybe if it was family, that would have been once a week or every other week or maybe even once a month where I came to family. But generally, uh, most people didn't know I drank every day as well. And so, um, you know, that was, I was starting to feel that anxiety that like I knew people didn't drink every day and I was drinking every day. Why am I drinking myself to my death pretty much? And then my, I think it was like, um, what happened, it was in August. My daughter did actually find me in my, in the, like I was, I'd fallen asleep while I was drinking and there was like some wine in the glass still and there was a bottle on the floor and she kind of like woke me up. She nudged me and she woke me up and I woke up and I saw her and I saw the wine bottle there and my glass because normally I would hide it. Like I would actually hide uh, my glass and my bottle of wine in the morning before anyone came into the living room um but she had um she had seen it and um she, she's like five and a half at this point and she's just like are you okay mommy like what's going on you know she's like nudging me and I'm like I'm okay I'm okay and I just remember feeling so shit like I felt so bad I felt so like oh my god my daughter has just caught me while I'm hungover and I fell asleep on the sofa drinking and all this stuff went through my mind I remember that morning Mm. and I just wanted to, I just felt so ashamed. Like, I felt really, really ashamed of myself to, like, even be in that position. And I was just, again, I was at that point where I'm just like, this has got to stop. And um, and I think the biggest problem I had was that I didn't know who to talk to including my husband I couldn't talk to my husband about it because my husband had always known me as someone who had drank from the moment like we'd been we've been together for like 21 years now but when we met I was drinking mm. really heavily anyway we were at university and even though he didn't drink so I was really lucky actually um, I'm really really grateful that he was not a drinker Actually, from the beginning, he was he maybe drank once a year, like on his birthday <laughs> kind of thing. That's the kind of drinker he was. He was really not a drinker. Um, and that obviously, I think that gave me peace of mind that I knew, even though I was a mess, that he wasn't, that he was 
very firmly stable and very much there for my daughter, even I, even though I felt like I wasn't. But I couldn't talk to him neither because I almost felt like there was all this judgment from him as well because he was doing so well in that sense. Like he didn't drink and he was really stable and he had it all together. Mm. I almost felt too ashamed to even talk to him about it. Like I just felt judged by him as well, even though he wasn't saying anything. Mm. Like he would get upset with my mood swings um, and he'd be like, I've had enough of these mood swings that do my head in. He was he was never actually saying I've had enough of your drinking. He was actually like fed up with my mood swings that were coming as a result of my drinking. Um, and so not being not having anyone to talk to was probably the biggest drawback to this whole situation because I think if I was able to as soon as I was able to speak to someone about it, that's that's when it happened so um you were saying when so august was again i was really heavily searching for a solution and i had started looking at different ways different like alcohol anonymous and mm-hmm. you know what other what solutions are there and i was really to be honest i was just too embarrassed to even approach them like i was just like i don't know if i can do this like i don't know if i can put myself out there and stand there and say oh i'm an alcoholic right um and i was struggling to find the right person to talk to and then mm. in the end um there there was a friend of mine uh who lives all the way in sydney australia she was an actual addiction specialist and so i ended up it was like i remember it was two o'clock in the morning in september like september the 18th it was, it was about two in the morning and i messaged her because i was still drinking and i was crying and i was really just sitting there like i don't know what to do you know, I sent her a message saying, you know, I really don't know what to do. I keep on drinking every day. Every day I say I want to stop. Every day I keep on drinking. I don't know what to do. Can you please help me? Can you please, like, give me some guidance? What shall I do? You know? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I can't remember what the hour difference would have been, but she pretty much responded straight away and said, like, okay, talk to me. And so we had a chat. And then she's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat you and I was just like well what does it entail and she's just like look you know it'll be over 12 weeks but we have an initial consultant consultant period tomorrow and that'll be about three hours long and we'll do it over Skype so it doesn't matter that I'm in Australia and we'll get this done and I just couldn't believe it that as soon as I did ask it was quite like there was something there straight away and this friend of mine, like I know her, like we're not like besties or anything, like we've met through other friends and, but obviously we did get on and stuff. Um, that she, straight away she was like, yeah, we can, we can do this. And I remember I carried on drinking actually. So we were going to have this three hour session the next day. And I got so scared about actually giving up alcohol. I drank even more. So then I was looking for like, what other alcohol was in the house left over from Christmas or whatever, like any, any kind of booze that might be there. And I remember just getting really present to the fact that, Oh my God, I might actually give this up and remembering feeling so scared about actually giving it up because it's been such a big part of my life. You know, I'd been drinking since I was 18 and at this point I'm 38, I've just turned 38, you know, no, 39. I just turned 39, actually. And so it was really dawning on me that I'd spent nearly 
over 20 years of my life being someone who drank a lot. And now I might be someone who doesn't. And I remember being quite scared about that. And so, um, yeah, that was that realization was that day. And the next day we had the session. And I realized a lot of it for me, what I was trying to deal with was not being able to actually emotionally regulate myself was to not be able to. I'd suppressed so much in my lifetime that I had not talked about. Um, and that suppression is what I was trying to cope with, you know, not being able to actually deal with the things that had happened to me in my life and actually resolve them, I, be able to talk about them, be able to actually understand what had happened why it happened and move on and so instead of moving on I was trying to just chuck it out like I was just trying to pretend it never happened and what I was trying to cope with was a whole bunch of stuff that had happened in my life and I was trying to pretend that those things didn't happen with alcohol and so once I'd actually spoken about and you know my, my friend who's a therapist helped me talk through um, a lot of elements of my life in those three hours, I actually started understanding what I had been doing, like why I'd been drinking. And for me, I was very fortunate that that first session, I stopped drinking. As soon as that session was complete, I declared I'm never drinking again. Any alcohol that was in the house went down the sink. And I haven't. I mean, I still had 12 weeks of, you know, like sessions with her every week. But, um, I, I never drank again from that first session. I was very fortunate enough to feel like I'd got the, the the solution, I guess, in a way, whether it was that I needed to talk about it, whether I needed to just declare that all that stuff had happened and I didn't know how to deal with it, um, was, was the turning point for me. And that was September the 19th. And it's been over three years now since since that session and I've I've not thought about alcohol even one day that's how I can yeah I don't need alcohol to cope now but because the, now I actually talk about stuff now now I actually deal with my life <laughs> instead of avoid it <laughs> but knowing that you've actually now was able to reach out that reaching out was the hardest part that was 100% because there was so much embarrassment around it like mm -hmm. you know I do admitting that I drank every day the way I was drinking the fact that I had to admit that I was being a really really you know I was not being a great mom right I was not being a, even a good mom to my daughter because I was either at work or I was drinking in the evening and I was spending very little time with her so you know there was that to deal with there was the fact that I didn't have a good relationship with my husband because I was at work or drinking and there were all these like what what were results of me drinking you know it impacted my relationship it impacted all my relationships closest to me and they were just tiptoeing around me that was embarrassing to have to really face that I that's what's happening in my life you know uh, and to admit that I'm an alcoholic at that time would have been the thing to say, but I didn't want to have to say I'm an alcoholic. And even though I'd been drinking like that for 20 years, it was crazy that I was still not even admitting that that's who I'd become just to try and cope with my life and emotions and 
you know. Do you think conflict. you felt that had that um, <clears throat> perception of an alcoholic because mm. your your relatives were male and you were female? Yeah, that was another thing. Yeah, so that was a. There were other females who were drinking, but I was definitely the probably the one who drank the most um, out of all of them. But I I also was like the tomboy in the family as well. And I also worked in construction as well. So I was always around males as well. So I think there was a part of me that just sort of used that as an excuse to continue drinking as well. The fact that I was around males all the time as well. So predominantly most of the high level drinking was probably done like on my side of the family where I knew I could get away with it as well like I could get away with it my friends and family and people who knew me really well so I I kept it in a very comfortable space for myself Mm. so that it was easier to do but after you'd taken that step with that with that friend knowing that this person knew you of some sort you felt relieved oh lighter once I spoke to her because she was she was not from our community, mm-hmm. um, you know, so she's, she, she was from a completely different background, completely different country, you know, met her through like a networking group of friends and like we'd kept in touch. And, and did that uh, help? Yeah, that helped because one, I did know her, but she, I didn't know her well enough to feel, uh, and I also knew she was obviously a specialist in the field so I knew she was an addiction specialist so for me that did help um so she could have been um she she wasn't she was a friend but she wasn't like someone I ha- I felt like I needed to be embarrassed in front of you felt comfortable because yeah was there comfort there because she wasn't from an Asian background or yeah 100 percent yeah, that was definitely one thing, that she wasn't from that background. I mean, this girl's never drank in her life. <laughs> she never drank at all. But um, she was not from a, from our community. Uh, and because even after I stopped drinking, I'll be honest, I spoke with people. I spoke with friends and family. And they struggled with it. They They struggled with the fact that I'd given it up completely. They were still insisting that I could drink casually. Right. Which I found quite surprising. Um, so I there was, that made me realise that was probably at the back of my mind that that's probably why they wouldn't realise because they they thought it was acceptable as well they just didn't realise to what extent I had gone obviously but in their perception it was still they couldn't understand why I completely gave up drinking there wasn't a single person Apart from like some of the older undia and stuff, it would, which was quite funny because afterwards they were like, oh, we're so happy that you've stopped drinking because we were really worried about you. But even these aunties and like I, t- I said, no one said, including my mum never said anything to me because they weren't sure how I was going to react if they said anything to me. Right. So that's the reason why they said they never said anything to me because they, were, they weren't sure how I was going to react. If they said, oh, we think you're drinking too much. So they felt not fear, but concerned of your reaction. Yeah. Because yeah. of maybe the way you acted in the past. Yes. Yeah. So they were, they didn't want to offend me. Mm. 
Um, so it was coming from concern, not so much fear, but they were like, oh, we might be overstepping our mark by saying anything. Yeah. You know? And because my mum had seen my dad drink a lot in the past and stuff, and obviously that would never, it's not something that you would say, oh, I think you're drinking too much. You know, if she, if she you know, it would normally end up in an argument if she did. Uh, with most couples, like that would sort of happen. And so it was just, she was concerned, but she didn't know how to approach me about it. And so when, when like about a year later, you know, I'd lost loads of weight. You know, I wasn't drinking at these parties. You know, I had loads of these Anthea coming up to me saying, oh, my God, you seem really happy. And I was like, thank you. And she was just like, you know, and they were like, you're looking great. You're doing great. You know, like, you know, your daughter and husband look really happy. You look really happy. And like everyone could visibly notice the difference. So you were, they were seeing a different jug yeah. in sense. They were yeah. seeing the the woman that was always there, but yeah. just not seen at these occasions. Yeah, I was seen more as myself, not as someone who was drinking and causing, like, lots of, like, uh, I don't know, just drunkenly behaviour. They, they weren't always bad. Sometimes it was merry behaviour. Mm. Sometimes it was like, yeah, I'm really happy. But it was still um, being on the impact of drinking you know it was the effects of the drinking mm. and so like family members were starting to notice that oh like she's not drinking she's still happy she's still dancing she's still talking to people she's being really social she's being happy she's being pleasant you know there was all these different things happening and I there was no alcohol involved um and I think even even for me it was just realizing because I I really did like I was saying before I thought I needed it to help me socially as well mm. um so when I stopped drinking it was really amazing I remember a year later it was my sister's wedding and I was given the res- I was given quite a lot of responsibility at this wedding and so uh, there was a lot of pressure there was a lot of stress but um I was able to handle it really well and also I was really really social I was like greeting meeting and greeting everybody I was on the dance floor and we were like partying till two in the morning it was an amazing night and I remember I actually had a moment where I stood there thinking holy crap like I've just had this whole wedding and I've had like the best time dancing on that dance floor like I haven't stopped dancing I haven't stopped being social and I've still been responsible you know I've done everything I needed to do and I did it all without alcohol and there would have been a time where I felt that I would have only been able to dance and greet people the way I had like to that level if I'd been drinking loads Mm. and even my husband ended up saying to me that night he was just like he goes have you drank anything today and I'm like no nothing and he was just like he goes I can't believe it he goes so you're like this you're like really social without alcohol and I'm like yeah (laughs) it was like really funny because that was the first time we'd been in a really heavy family environment where you know I would have normally only been that social after drinking quite a bit and we were both really surprised I remember like wow like I did this whole evening on such a high without actually drinking so and these are all been something that have been possible with supports from a specialist a friend yeah yeah family yeah, because once I once I once I acknowledged I had the problem, because that's the hardest thing. It is really important for you to acknowledge 
that okay this is this is this is seriously a really big problem and i really let it you know i really pushed the boundaries with this issue but i mean like i'm i mean i think other women maybe in my situation could have already been in a in a worse situation to be i was really lucky in the sense that my family that my husband and my mum for example who were sort of there daily or not you know, my mum not daily, but she was around quite a bit, that they were holding the fort while I was going through this, if that makes sense. Mm. So, like, they were being, like, there for my daughter, for example, you know? Like, they were holding the fort until I could sort myself out. Because I was just a mess. I, I didn't know how to deal with it. So, during that time, I had the support there as well and so afterwards once I did acknowledge it and I was start and I had the treatment I was declaring it to everyone I've stopped drinking I've stopped drinking I've stopped drinking I was so happy to say I'm not drinking anymore and so over the last three years um, I'm still not drinking they might still be drinking the way that they're drinking but um, I still go to family functions I still go to a pub and a bar and I don't have to drink. I can still go to a restaurant where they're going to be drinking wine and it doesn't affect me. Like, I just don't want to do it. Like, I can actually be in the vicinity of alcohol and not drink. What I don't do is I probably don't do it as much as I used to before. So, like, I do I do have another social circle now that just doesn't drink alcohol. And, you know, our social events are a little bit more involved in like community events and things and we're making a difference and you know I do a lot of trekking and like I mentioned I summited Kilimanjaro this year you know so I have a trekking group that we're a part of and we meet monthly so like you know we we go out out like we're a lot more outdoors like I've just got a completely different life from when I was drinking just a completely different life that I've been able to create since stopping so, in effect, you're kind of in a recovery slash transformation journey from. Yeah, it's been a journey because. Declaring that well, you I had did the... a... Yeah, yeah. Sorry, what are you going to say? Declaring a. Declaring that you had um, an alcohol addiction. So, from that day, you've, you've been in recovery. You... Yeah. You've overcome fears and concerns that people had and were able to finally yeah. able to support you and give you that backbone in order to focus on you because there was various things that you maybe hadn't been able to speak about, but getting that professional help yeah, um, so with I had somebody the... that you were comfortable with, which is, yeah. I think, one of the most important things is if you're reaching out for help is to reach out for the help that you need yeah um and maybe you can share a bit more about that from your perspective and how important it was in order to do that and why getting support is important not just with friends and family but professional help and what kind of supports you think would be helpful yeah in, in the three years have yeah you've spoken about your journey yeah how many been a lot people of people have said I feel like you feel how how can I change this what yeah. would your advice and tips be yeah so um so like from, from the moment I had the initial help obviously that was she even though she was someone that I knew 
but she was a professional. So she was a professional. She was an addiction specialist, and that's what she did. And so there was that. Th- um, and and I was like I said in that first session, I was completely able to give up my alcohol addiction because uh, in those three that first session, which was three hours long, it was all about going back to your childhood, basically. So there was a whole bunch of questions on my early years, my teen years, like you know, and it was kind of like going back to seeing what had happened and what I hadn't I dealt with so once that happened uh, I was able to acknowledge that the next 12 weeks was really about um, working through that stuff you know what was coming up for me what was caught because I'd realized because I had a lot of anxiety as well so it was sort of going to it was just working through so the therapy over the 12 weeks was working through that and then I didn't continue it after that because for me personally, that was enough and I didn't want to carry on because I felt like I was, I hate to say it, but I felt like I got quite dependent on having this weekly chat with, with her and I would kind of like wait for it. And so I was like, no, I really need to be independent from this now. And so after the 12 weeks, I made a decision that I didn't want to continue it and I wanted to work through it myself, like to be independent of the problem. And from there, in that time I had, um, which was perfect because then I started um, the transformation of my health and my fitness. So I lost like two stones over like 90 days. And during that time, again, I was really well supported by um, the people I did that program with. And that was a lot about mindset and mind shifting. Like, what did we believe? Um, So that was brilliant. And then from there, I started taking... I, you know, I joined a new community, which was of trekking. So me and my whole family, we would go trekking. We were like going on hikes. We were going up Snowdon Mountain. Um, and we were having dinners with different people. So we'd I'd actually got a completely new circle of friends and, fam- you know, uh, who I consider family now as well. And it was really brilliant to be able to have that combination of my, my actual family and friends uh, from before. And then to create this new community as well, where I can just like create something new. And um, so that's been very supporting in taking on new activities. So I replaced my evening drink, for example. So when I did my health transformation, my evening drink got replaced with a 5K walk, for example. So every evening I would walk 5K. So I really got my like my health and fitness is at its best right now. Um, than it's ever been even before my like you know my 20s kind of thing so it's amazing to now be 42 years old and take on an adventure like you know spending seven days on a mountain in Africa and you're going and summiting and camping which I'd never done before you know I've been able to just take on so many new things by not being in that mindset of this is who I am. I know I can be anyone that I want to be. And because I'm not spending time dwelling in my past, which is what I was doing when I was drinking, to cope with my past, I'm now creating a new future for myself. And I still get, um, I still get like professional help. And they've been completely phenomenal in who I've become in the last year. Um, my relationship status is amazing. Like um, who I'm being as a mum now is phenomenal. Like I've just been able to continually work on 
trying to be the best version of myself. And a lot of it has to do with who am I being? How am I handling my emotions? How am I, who can I talk to? I've got so many people I can talk to now. Like I've got coaches that I can speak to. I've got friends. I've got loads of friends I can speak to now about anything that I want to speak to. Whereas before I was really holding back on being open and being vulnerable. Like I was not being vulnerable before neither. So I've really opened up in the last three years. I've really opened up just new ways of communicating with people. So what I would say to people out there who may be going through this, who've, who've gone through the process of drinking every day and thinking that, okay, I'd like to stop, but I can't. The first thing to acknowledge is that you can't. As soon as you've tried yourself and you feel like you can't stop drinking, it, it's, it's, that's probably the best time to call a professional. You know, someone that you can speak to, even if it's just a call on the phone, just to inquire about what they do. You know, there's um, I've had a few friends who contacted me um, and some people and there was another lady who didn't even I hardly knew, actually. But I ended up sharing with her that I had been through this. And um, and th so there's been three ladies and all three of them were able to after they spoke to me you know, firstly, they admitted they'd not told anyone about it, which is so normal, right? Because we don't tell people about it. But as soon as I was able to share that I had been through it, they felt like, oh, wow, it's not just me. So I think that, that was really important because a lot of the time we can think that, oh, I'm the only one going through this. No one's going to understand. And so that's why it's really, it's really great to speak to someone who's either been through it, or if you can't speak to someone like that, then it's, the professional is the best place, next place, best place to go because then they can guide you on what would be the next step and what's possible for you if you're willing to share with them what's going on. So ultimately, you've had, you've had quite a lot of support since. It oh, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, because I mean? I've been willing to share. Yeah, once you, mm. once you open yourself up to being, you know, instead of being embarrassed, just to acknowledge, look, this is where I was. This mm. is where I'm now. And like step by step, I've been taking it step by step. You know, Every, everything that I've achieved in the last three years didn't happen overnight. It's taken these last three years and I'm still transforming. I'm still mm. creating new ways of being. There's still so much I, I would love to do now. Mm. And, um, and, and that's going to continue. But ultimately, yeah, it was finding um, that the right help. Yeah, that, that initial right support, which for me happened to be my friend in Australia. And then I, I was, the way I lost weight was through a coaching system, you know. And again, so I got loads of coaching around mindset when I was doing that. Then I started taking on new things, hiking and stuff. And then I've had lots of other, I'm still in a very big body of coaches mm -hmm. where, where I can, and I've got loads of people I can speak to now. Yeah. And people speak to me now really openly like and it's and it's definitely easy easier a lot easier now really important to kind of slowly as you mentioned is taking small steps and yeah. build that community which is suitable for you I mean you yeah. had your your friend who was a specialist in Australia you knew that it was having health problems and it was um being impacted by alcohol so you've had support with 
medical professionals as in GP and knowing what your body type was and then enlisting on coaches for your health and transforming but it's all come together with taking that first step and seeking some form of help which was suitable for you so that could have been either a GP or a charity or a or a friend closer to home um, yeah, whatever you feel comfortable with, um, I think it's probably the main thing because I approached my friend because I felt comfortable talking to mm-hmm. her because mm-hmm. I knew she was a friend, but she also was a specialist. Mm-hmm. So I felt comfortable calling her. So if you, if you, whoever there might be, yeah, someone out there, if it, like I, I've coached a friend of mine and she went through the GP route mm-hmm. and that, and she did CBT therapy and now it's been nine months and she's been great. You know, it, it, that's, that's what that's the route she took other friends of mine have been able to do it by themselves and they've just um you know they've ended up speaking to they've shared more with other friends who have then helped them like you know by drinking less or whatever it might be so they're controlling it more so some people are just learning to control it you got to just acknowledge where are you and what kind of help do you think you need and go for the right one that makes you feel comfortable initially but just make that first step of speaking to somebody and make sure that somebody that you want to speak to, you know, can give you the advice that you might be looking for, the help that you're looking for. So it could be a charity. It could be the doctors. It could be a coach. It could be, you know, Alcohol Anonymous. It could be the Samaritans for God's sake. It could be anybody, you know, it could be, um, there are other, other alcohol prevention courses out there now as well. So I have come across a few. Um, um, so th- there are a lot of programs out there as well, if you want to go for programs. But ultimately, it does come down to, it is possible. Of course, to... it's 100%. But you, you've got to be willing to acknowledge it first. How do you feel now going through it all? What's your biggest achievement? So 100% was definitely um, the first thing that I achieved was my weight. So like I was saying, I hadn't been that the weight that I am now for since before mm-hmm. drinking so mm-hmm. that the way I'm like nine and a half stones now and I the last time I was nine and a half stone was way before I started drinking so I did not have that weight <laughs> um the second thing I achieved was um a much higher level of fitness you know I had really bad back problems and things and because I was drinking so much I had loads of falls like I'd be hung over the next day and I would fall and I really hurt my back a few times um mm-hmm. so I've got a much stronger back now um my health and my fitness both of them together are amazing because my health and fitness is so amazing I'm so much more available for my daughter who's 10 now you know um we can do so much with her because before when I was drinking I wasn't spent I felt almost too embarrassed to be around her like I couldn't do anything with her and so now we do loads of things together we do like whether it's um physical but like even emotionally and mentally like I'm so much more available for her like you know and we can have some amazing conversations and she you know I've really openly shared my journey like she was a part of it at the end of the day and there's still things that she remembers um and I know for her me not drinking is 
it was completely life transforming for me to be around her without, you know, this potentiality of me having a drink, you know. So we have a completely different relationship. So I'm I'm being able to be like, you know, I'm being able to have the best relationship ever with my daughter. Me and my husband have really like, you know, transformed our relationship over the last. That's probably like, you know, and that took a really long time to heal. You know, uh, the relationship with my husband did require a lot of, you know, me um, being able to accept who I was and who I am now so that I can be that person in the relationship. Um, that took a lot of healing. And so, you know, even that's a work in process. And but, you know, after 20 years, I'm extremely proud to still be with that man and that he's still by my side and that we've got each other and that we're, you know, getting to be it you know, parents to this amazing 10-year-old that we have. So I'm really, really happy that we're a family, you know, because, you know, that couldn't have maybe been there if I'd carried on drinking. Um, and just, yeah, just like, you know, the, the you know, I summited Kilimanjaro. I can't forget that one. You know, I summited Kilimanjaro with my daughter, seven days, just had the most phenomenal time. Um, I wouldn't have had the capacity to, to train for it. You know, I wouldn't have been able to do that eight month training that I needed for it. I wouldn't have been, you weren't allowed to drink alcohol on the mountain. I wouldn't have been able to survive eight, seven days without alcohol on the mountain if I was still drinking. Um, it just wouldn't have happened. You know, that that trip just wouldn't have happened if I was still drinking as well, because that would have got in the way. And uh, my daughter would have never been able to find out just how amazingly limitless she is because, you know, I was able to be there for her. So it was awesome. So, yeah, that's my five. Is that five things? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> there's more. Trust me, there's there's so much more. Like, there's business. There's, like, how I've been able to help other people. I've been coaching other people as well. So that's been really great. And I'm, I'm looking at doing coaching of photography next year. Um, yeah, just, I don't know. The world lots. is your oyster. The world is my oyster. Absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. So, yeah. Just go for it. I would just like to say thank you. Really appreciate you being able to share this, not just with myself, but also with Seek Forgiveness and all the people that are going to be listening in on this and giving them the strength and hope to take that step forward. So thank you. Thank you. And... If anybody else is wanting to seek any help or any advice, feel free to get in touch with Seek Forgiveness via our Twitter, Instagram or our website, www.seekforgiveness.com. Um, you can also support our work and buy us a coffee and donate via coffee hyphen fi.com slash seek forgiveness thank you for tuning in bye